0: okay good morning again sorry you got me uh double whammy this morning i'm not quite sure how that works but uh, there we are should we pray father we want to thank you uh, lord for your for amazing things that you're doing lord i just want to thank you for your provision what an amazing uh application uh, that uh, these guys have received for our youth lord i thank you uh, lord unexpected places uh lord you do things and uh God, we step out in faith and uh, often in those moments where you don't know what the answer is going to look like, uh, you come through uh, even more than we could have expected. Uh, Lord, how true to Scripture is that? And Father, I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for James and for Gary and the work they're doing with our young people. Uh, Lord, I pray you'll continue to encourage them. Pray for those moments when they gather here on Friday evenings. Uh, Lord, I pray you just inhabit uh, Lord, those moments. Uh, Father, we pray for salvation stories. Uh, but Lord, we pray for an abundance of young people going to New Day that would perhaps not have had the opportunities this year had it not been for this grant. And so, God, we set our eyes in faith to what you are doing amongst those guys. But this morning, we thank you for your word, oh, Lord. We thank you that it shapes us, it changes us, it challenges us, uh, Lord. It makes us think and see things differently. It helps us to get a perspective from your viewpoint. Uh, Lord, I pray as we look again at uh, these amazing verses from Matthew 5 that you spoke to your disciples. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit working upon us this morning. I pray that we wouldn't come with a sense of familiarity but God that you would illuminate a fresh weight to these words that would change and shape us would mold us would help us as we think through for the rest of the days that we have on this earth how we are to live this life that would glorify you. Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Mick started last week. um, uh, This uh, new series that we're doing on uh, what's commonly known as the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew 5. I did listen back to it over the week. Uh, We were down in Bridport uh, last Sunday uh, just to hear what what Mick Mick said. And the whole sense of Jesus speaking these words, I I really want you to get the idea that these words are topsy-turvy in our world culture. The way that Jesus speaks, the way that he is setting this out to his disciples, is totally counterculture to what we see around us. And often we can we sort of read these things through and think, "Oh, they're very nice, very nice, very nice." This is radical, and would have been incredibly radical for his disciples as he as he spoke these uh, through for the for the first time. So, I'm just going to read it again, just remind us. I haven't got this on the screen, so if you haven't got your Bibles in front of you, you can just listen and just take them in. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into the one that we're looking at this morning, which is Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Matthew 5. Now, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This whole sense of being blessed. And the Beatitudes actually comes from the Latin translation of blessed, it is a word called beatus. But in the Greek translation, the translation that the New Testament was written in, blessed uh, most closely relates to being happy. I want to tell you this is not a roadmap to happiness as the world would see it. This is not a roadmap, as we've called, to a flourishing life as the world would see it. This is a totally different way of living and thinking and breathing. Blessed, being happy, is being happy in God, knowing him, loving him, spending time with him. That's what Jesus is talking about. He said, I don't want you just to be happy in life and enjoy life. Of course, overarching, there's that sentiment that we want to be living good lives, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He said, those who are blessed are those who are deeply knowing God, getting to know him, working life through with him. That's when this sense of blessedness, this sense of happiness comes. It's a joy and it's a delight and it's a growing relationship with our father. That's the blessed life that Jesus is talking about in these Beatitudes. Now, I don't know whether any of you uh, ever have had a Thompson's Chain Reference Bible over the years. Um, they're still around, um, perhaps not used quite so much these days. But in, in uh, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, uh, they, they illustrate a lot of the stories with hand drawings. You've seen those sort of Bibles where they're just trying to give you a little bit more to, to illustrate what is being said. And for this section on the Beatitudes, the illustration was this staircase and this sense of that it's a progression of getting closer to God as you work through the Beatitudes, as you work through these statements. And I I, I couldn't find the actual one from the um, Thompson Chain reference, but I did find this one, which gives you the same sort of uh, sense of this growing desire to come to the Father, to know him more, goes through these steps. And we, I know we're a little bit of sync in terms of the order we're doing in, which is a little bit of a shame, but, but you sort of can't move on to the next step until you've grasped the first step. It's that sort of sentiment that Jesus has uh, in these statements. And while Sally's going to be talking next week uh, about CAP and sort of basing it around this whole sense of being poor in spirit, which is the first statement, poor in spirit in itself, and I don't want to nick any of her words for next week, is it's this sense of being spiritually bankrupt. We are bereft in life without a knowledge and a knowing of this Jesus and who he is. That's what blessed, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. Blessed are when we, when we recognize that. That actually without him, we are nothing. We are broken. And actually when we come to him, we have to come with a sense of humility in our hearts. That it's actually, Lord, in myself, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can't offer anything. And everything is about you and not about me. When we don't recognize that, we become self-sufficient. We have this sense of, I can work through life on my own, in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own talents. And I don't need you, God, to help me in any way. There's no room in my heart. God, I've got it all worked out. And we don't even recognize that first step. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we can't do that, we won't move on. So our second step is the one we're looking at this morning, is blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Literally, happy are those who are sad. Happy are those who are sad. No, not sad just because your football team's lost yesterday or whatever it may be, but a sadness, a deep-seated sadness, a mourning within our hearts, not through the loss perhaps even of somebody who's dear to us. And right across this room, all of us in some shape or form will have been affected by those who've gone before us, loss of life, and it's right to feel that mourning, it's right to grieve, but that's not the grieving and the mourning that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this deep-seated recognition that my depravity, that my, my sense of lustness has led to this brokenness in, in relationship. And I'm now mourning this gravity, this sense of sin that's in my life that has stopped me coming into relationship, that has prevented me knowing God for who He is. It's a recognition of my spiritual condition. When we recognize that we are completely bereft apart from God. And when we recognize that he has welcomed us into his family, there is a sense of mourning of my sin. That thing, if it hadn't been for my sin, Lord, all of these things may not have happened. Being sad in one sense when we mourn is right. Being sad about mourning over our sin is absolutely right. And yet I think as a culture, as a people, we often don't do that. And I'm pointing to my own heart as much as I'm encouraging all of us. Mournful over my sin, mournful over the things that I've done. Recognizing the depravity of my own heart is hugely Hugely important for the Christian believer. (coughs) Jesus says this in John 8. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He's recognizing that in our lives we sin and there is a magnetic attraction for all of us towards sin, whatever that may be. And and you often find it, I think perhaps to people who've come to faith, who've come to know Jesus later in life, when they look back over their lives and, and you think, oh, Lord, if only I'd known you, you know, back when I was in my teens, in the punk rock years, when I was doing sex, drugs and rock and roll or whatever it may have been, your colorful background, perhaps when I was in my 20s and I got married and I got married to the wrong person and the marriage broke down, and I got married again on the rebound of that. And that didn't work out either. And I got married a third time. God, if only I'd known you at that point. And this sense of sinful behavior in a heart that thinks, "Oh Lord!" I mourn, I'm, I'm, I, I grieve those moments where I've lost because of my sin. I think it's important, no matter if we've come to faith, and if we've come to faith to recognize actually sin still is lurking around us, but also to recognize, Lord, I am mournful over those years. I remember Greg Haslam, who... Um, I used to know uh, reasonably well when he was leading the church in Winchester, then moved up to um, uh, Westminster Chapel. Um, I remember one of the things he said to me, or uh, not to me personally, but to to us as a a group when I was on my training course. He says, the deeper, when somebody comes to faith, the deeper that they go into repentance, the sense of, Lord, I just need to deal with this stuff in my heart the better that they will be in terms of their longevity and walk with Christ. So often we see people come to faith and perhaps don't really get that mournful sense of my sin. And just, you just see them drift away. But I, I honestly see, I think there is a parallel, that those who I see walking well with God are the ones who are most thorough at repentance and dealing with their sin. What we mustn't do though is get this sort of mixed up with the eternal perspective, which of course Paul talks about here in Romans. for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in eternal is, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I want you to know that when you come to Christ, you are forgiven. I know it's just like we know that, but do we know that? I am thoroughly, utterly totally forgiven past, present and future. That is our eternal perspective. We know that because of our faith in Christ, because we believe in him, that when we come to heaven's gate, we will be welcomed in because of our faith, not because of how well we've done life. All right, so it's important to get that, but it is also important to know that sin has an impact on our earthly beings right here right now through sin death to relationships can happen through sin death to a business can happen through sin death to a marriage can happen to a home to your dreams to your hopes whatever they may be when we sin some element of dying in our lives is taking place And we're not insulated from that. We have our eternal perspective. We know that we will be welcomed. But I know when I sin, there's a death in my heart that's going on, and I'm not insulated from that. Sin has an impact. It has an impact on me. And I know it has an impact on all of us. When we see the gravity of our sin, it should sober us. It should sober us. We should mourn over it. When I know I hold that view, when I hold that attitude, when I say those words, when I think that thought, there's a death that's going on in me because of my sin. And there's a death going on on all of us and we should mourn over those moments. The Bible calls this godly sorrow. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death get that in your hearts. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is, thank goodness I didn't get caught. Thank goodness nobody saw that. Thank goodness nobody heard that. Thank goodness nobody knows what's happening in the midst of my heart. And we think, whew, got away with it. That's worldly sorrow. And that brings us death. Godly sorrow takes us to repentance. And repentance is thorough. It's total. It's extreme. It can take years or it can happen in a moment. It is a continual turning of our hearts away from the sin and walking in an opposite direction. Worldly sorrow says, "Do you know what, the fun's over now. Can't do that anymore. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow takes us on a completely different journey. Godly sorrow thinks, Lord, I've lost so much because of my sin. I've lost so many relationships. I've hurt so many people. I've damaged lives. That's godly sorrow. But Jesus doesn't want us just to wallow in our sorrow. We come to the cross with it. And we hear the father saying, you're forgiven. You're forgiven again. You're forgiven again. That's godly sorrow. So we come to him. I think in the culture that we live in, we don't often hear about sin, I think, in the same way that we perhaps used to do maybe 50 years ago in the culture. I think it would have been a much more common sort of sense. Today, we can hide behind all sorts of different thoughts and mindsets and uh, just uh, almost, I could be thinking scientifically or I could be thinking culturally, but I'm certainly not thinking sinfully. Sigmund Freud, who um, you will have heard of, he said this, a belief in God is delusionary and psychologically damaging. That was his mindset because his whole attitudes towards sin was, as you think about sin, it has an impact on your mind. And yet God's word never seems to shun this whole concept of the importance of us recognising how sin influences us. This is what James wrote in James 4. Grieve. Mourn, wail. How was the last time over your heart? How was the last time I, over my heart, grieved and mourned and wailed? Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, this doesn't sound very encouraging. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So what is James saying? Is he saying we should all walk around as if we're Man United supporters. Long faces. <laughs> you know, well, how do we, how do we is, that, is that what we're meant to do? Is that is that what James is saying? Is that, okay, guys, you just, you've got the sin in your hearts, so you don't, you don't mourn, you don't well. you should be just long-faced, disappointing, looking in gloom. I think what he's saying is, because we take sin lightly, it's almost like we're playing with sin in the shadow of the cross. That's what it's like. And when we realize that's what we do, this is what we should be doing. Our our laughter turning to mourning, our joy turning to gloom, because we're ridiculing what Jesus has done for us. That is the gravity of sin in our hearts and the impact it makes when we don't take it seriously. There should be this sobriety in our thinking. We are not to play with sin in the shadow of the cross. Our question, oh sorry, our question, our culture will be saying, be happy. But we are happy when we measure it in the shadow of the cross. I think a lot of the Old Testament prophets, they seem to had got this mindset of what it was for a nation to be in sin, what a nation was to having this attitude towards God. I think even with what Mick was saying about the, the, the prayer in a couple of weeks' time, So often we hear people praying on behalf of our nation. It's good to pray for things that are happening, things that are taking place, but actually praying on behalf of our nation for our sin. You know, remember when Nehemiah prayed uh, towards the end of the Old Testament story? As they're coming back, they're restoring the temple and he's praying and he's weeping and he's wailing and he's sorrowful because of the way nation Israel had responded to God. It sounds an oddity to us. It sounds an oddity to me that I can't really remember the last time I prayed to God on behalf of our nation, weeping, grieving, wailing for the sins of our hearts before Him. It sounds odd to us, but that's what they did. There is a flip side. Well, not flip side, but there is another side to the statement that Jesus gives us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When we mourn our sin, Jesus promises he will comfort us. When we mourn our sin, Jesus promises he will comfort us. Conversely, I think we can say when we don't mourn our sin, the comfort we could have had perhaps is not as readily available. Do you agree? If we don't mourn over sin, if we become jaded to sin, the comfort that Jesus promises us in this topsy-turvy thinking of a flourishing life is not available. Do you know what? How many of us, and I'm the first one up, so I'm right there with you. How many of you check your phone each day, the news headlines? Or maybe check the news on the on the on the television or reading newspaper. So, okay, but maybe seventy percent of us. Seventy percent of us. How many times do you sort of flick through news stories, and they just don't impact you? And they can be horrific. I mean, even yesterday, the first headline is the three people killed in Paris in the gas explosion. And I'm barely past the headline, and I'm, all right, what's the next news story? What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? And you see things in the world, and you see things in our news, often sinful behavior, pornographic, child abuse, whatever it might be. And my heart's become so jaded to the sin of our world I didn't grieve over it. I just think it's just another headline. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact me. We can become blind to it. I think what Jesus is saying to us, we need to be second step on this journey. After recognizing our depravity is recognizing the weight of our depravity. David, I think, had a sense of this in Psalm 66. He said this, come and hear all of you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. Sounding quite good so far. Bang, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But, surely, but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. If I had cherished sin in my heart, then God, Lord, the Lord, God, Jesus would not have listened. A lack of sorrow in our sin will affect our walk with God. A lack of repentance in our heart will affect our walk with Him. And do you know what? In the deepness of my heart, there are times when I can find sin a magnetic attraction. And I want it to be a magnetic attraction. I want to go to those places. And I honestly think there isn't one person in this room who wouldn't say the same. Such is the weight of what Jesus is saying to us. There's a sense of shame, but I don't admit it. That's the corruption of sin. I know it's wrong. God, I feel bad about it. But actually, I don't do anything with it. I think God wants us, I think Jesus wants us to be absolutely ruthless with sin. If we genuinely, genuinely want to know him better, if we want to walk with him better, if we want to have a deeper relationship with him, we have to be serious about sin and how it blocks our relationship with him. You see, I think with Nehemiah, when he prayed, he understood, I think, God's heart. He understood God's heart for his people. He understood God's heart for the love that he has for us. And do you know what? There's moments, fleeting moments in my own life when I think, I've seen it. I've suddenly just seen a picture of God's heart for a situation, God's heart for me, God's heart for a person, a situation, whatever it may be. There's just these fleeting moments. And you feel that in your spirit, and you feel the weight of that. You feel God in this moment. And then it just seems to dissipate and disappear, and then I go back to my old mindset, my old thinking, my old way of doing things. And I think the prayer that Jesus is praying over us I want you to see my heart. And honestly, we can only see his heart if we are serious about sin. I want my heart, Lord, to be a reflection of your heart. I want to know that when I pray, I'm praying as you would pray. As I'm living my life, I would live my life in a way that you would live your life. Nehemiah was just a man, just like us. Open to the same temptations, open to the same mind thoughts, open to the same attitudes. And yet somehow he'd seen it as he prayed. Now, I think for us, post the cross, obviously Nehemiah was pre Jesus coming, but for us, post the cross, it's for not for us to walk around with long faces and deep sorrow. Because that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be transformed in the shadow of the cross. And that one day when we come before him, he will say, well done, good and faithful. He will say that. For those who believe, he will say that to us. But in this here and now, we're not in the not yet, we're in the here and now, our walk with him, our time with him, our experience of him will be absolutely transformed by our robustness towards our own sin. I want to stand out in the world, not because I want to stand out in the world, But I want to stand out in the world because of what Jesus has done. I want people to say, Steve Hunter is different because of what Jesus has done. Not because I want to get plaudits and trumpet blasts and all that sort of stuff, but if you want to do that, it's fine. No, I want my life to mean something. I don't want to get to the day that Jesus calls me home and I think, Do you know, I just live with all these regrets, all these moments I've missed, all those. Do you know, I feel God wants to lift regrets off us. Do you know, it can start right now. It can start now. A changed heart can happen right now, this morning. I just think, God, I want to be different. I want to think different. I want to be serious about these things. Not that we will weep and mourn and look long-faced, but that your heart will know his heart for your life amen amen i think it would be good to can we stand together i wasn't quite sure how to um um, fred's in the room fred could you just come and just play something for us um actually mike would you mind just twiddling on the keyboards with fred These moments are often uh, very um, personal. This isn't about a great show of declaration to the world of this is my sin and that's my sin. And this is a moment between you and your father. This is a moment where Jesus says to you, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who are sad. Happy are those in this topsy-turvy, flourishing life that recognize without him, you are nothing. Blessed are those who recognize the weight of sin in your own heart, your thoughts, your mindset, your Attitude. Your behaviour. The things done in secret places. The images that you view. The programmes that you watch. The language that you speak. Blessed are those who mourn. For they... Will be comforted. Right now, Lord Jesus, we stand before you and we recognize and we acknowledge deep in our hearts our sin. And Lord, we want to say, we want it gone. We thank you for giving us. We thank you that we have eternal hope. We thank you at the cross it's been paid for. But Lord, where we are tinkering with sin in the shadow of the cross, Lord, we ask that you would help us to come to a place of utter and full and total repentance. Where things need to be spoken through, where the confessions need to be made, we ask Lord you'd give us loving, caring, compassionate friendships around us. where relationships need to be repaired, we pray we would be the first one to say sorry. Lord Jesus, just come, even now, Holy Spirit, pray for years of regret to be gone in Jesus name I pray for years of damage to be healed in Jesus name Jesus name I pray there may even be tears that would be part of the healing process for us. Jesus, Jesus, come Lord, come Lord, come Lord, come Lord. If you just feel it's right, I just ask you just to quietly just start praying those prayers of forgiveness, praying those prayers of repentance, just asking the Lord to come and meet you, just where you're at, where you just speak loud so lots of people can hear you, but just in your own heart, just whispering it out to him, shout out, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you for you. Here I See I'm a good No thank you. No thank you. No thank you. Come on. No, Here I